Certainly appreciate Bobby's selection of songs about the cross. We have been in a brief series of lessons on Sunday morning, this to be the final one, on the theme of the cross, specifically the magnitude of the cross. It is immeasurable when we contemplate the cross and the magnitude of it, the power of the cross. We began this series by looking at its meaning and just simply using the word cross to see the compassion there, the letter C, the redemption that is available through the cross, the oneness that is achieved of all men through the sacrifice that was made there, the salvation ultimately that is ours made possible by the cross, and then finally we looked at the separation that is demanded by the cross because we are to separate ourselves from this world in the sense of being unlike the world any longer and like the next world. Then we talked about the motivation of the cross, the supreme motivation being the love that was manifested there and the depth and breadth of that love is, is difficult for the finite mind to fully comprehend and yet we need to constantly be comprehending it and responding to it. We love him, John wrote, because we, he first loved us, 1 John 4, 19. And in that lesson, we talked about the fact that we are drawn to the cross. Remember John 12, 32, Jesus said, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all peoples to myself. He didn't say, I'll drive people to serve me. I'll draw people to serve me by being lifted up on Calvary and with everything that is involved in that sacrifice as we have sung in these beautiful hymns this morning. We're drawn to the cross. But then we suggested we're drained at the cross, drained of self and filled with the Savior. And then we are driven from the cross by that love that was manifested there, forgetting those things that are behind and reaching forward to the things which are ahead, Paul wrote in Philippians 3:13 and 14. Being crucified with Christ, Paul elsewhere wrote, no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. In the Son of God who what, Paul? Who loved me and gave himself for me. The motivation of the cross is the supreme motivation of love that should characterize each one of us who have responded to that love. But today we conclude our thoughts by thinking about the metamorphosis of the cross. From caterpillars to butterflies. Is that up there? Nothing's there. Okay, Martin, there's nothing on the screen. Uh, you, you got it on the iPad? <laughs> well, I guess we are without it. Preach on, okay. Well, what you're not seeing here is a caterpillar, and then uh, Ooh, that's pretty. there is a cocoon here also, and then following that, there's a beautiful butterfly. You see it now? Yeah. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> okay. Thank you, sir. 
from caterpillars to butterflies, the metamorphosis of the cross, the complete change that the cross is to bring about in our lives. And our key passage is Romans 12, 1 and 2, and Paul's admonition there. Really, his plea, if you will, I beseech you, in other words, I beg you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present, and that's a once-for-all presentation, incidentally, with the tense of the word that is used there, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. There's our word metamorphosis. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. When Paul says be transformed, that is the word from which we get the word metamorphosis, and which is usually applied to the physical transformation that takes place from caterpillar to butterfly. But as we look at the metamorphosis of the cross this morning, we're going to see three specific changes, three specific transformations that take place in those who truly have come to Calvary and who have seen everything that needs to be seen at Calvary and have gone away from Calvary, as it were, responding and being transformed, renewing their mind from cares to caring, from doubts to daring, and finally, from selfishness to sharing. The first transformation is from cares to caring, and our key passage is 1 Peter 5 and verse 7, a very succinct but powerful and highly significant statement that Peter by inspiration makes when he says, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. We've talked about this passage in the past and the fact that the word care is used twice in that passage, but it's used in two very different senses there. The first care there is anxiety, from cares, that is, from anxieties in this life. The second care is concern or compassion for others. And so what Peter is reminding Christians about is that you can cast, and that word cast is a once-for-all uh, indication from the tense that is used there, casting once and for all, all your cares upon him. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. We often sing that grand old hymn. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. Why? Because burdens are left at Calvary. That's really what Peter is saying to us. We lift our burdens at Calvary because we have left our burdens at Calvary. Now that's not the easiest thing in the world to achieve because we are human beings and anxiety tends to creep into our lives almost on a daily basis if we will let it. And if it, if it stays there and festers, it can become debilitating and does become debilitating to many individuals. The suicide rate among teens is probably at the highest level that it's ever been in our lifetime. Why? Because many times a hopelessness that is felt because no one cares. You know, on one occasion, David himself said, refuge, refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. But David, of course, was reminded there was one who cared for his soul and would always care for his soul, 
whether anyone else did or not. That is the Lord. And that's what Peter reminds us that regardless of the circumstances, anxiety should not characterize our lives because we leave our anxiety, our anxi- anxieties at Calvary. Jesus taught this very principle so beautifully and clearly in the great Sermon on the Mount, did he not? Remember Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 25, and this is on the heels of verse 24 where he says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and material things at the same time, and when you do that, you're going to have what? Anxiety. That is going to be productive of nothing good and everything negative. Because on the heels of that statement, you cannot serve God and mammon, we have a therefore. Therefore, since you cannot serve both God and mammon and should not seek to serve both God and mammon, therefore I say to you, do not what? Worry, as the New King James says, about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not the life more than food? And the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they, he asks? And then he asks, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now. He says, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. Those out here in the world, not the Christian, but those out in the world seek these things. And then he adds, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Here it is, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Yes, Jesus did some powerful teaching on the subject of anxiety, worry, and not always an easy thing to follow, as we said, because of our human nature. But that's the point, metamorphosis, transformation. A renewing of the mind occurs, and with that, a peace of mind, a peace that surpasses all understanding, and a joy that is unspeakable. We can't really describe it, and that joy is always there despite the adversities that come, that inner peace and that foundational joy in the Lord is there for us to fall back on. But, notice, this is a transformation process that we're talking about. And the complete transformation process is not concluded with from cares to no cares. That's not the complete transformation. Yes, indeed, that's a partial partial achievement of what Jesus teaches and what the New Testament teaches. In other words, we're to rid ourselves of those needless anxieties. We can be concerned and we must be concerned in many ways about many things and about others and about ourselves. But anxiety is a different animal. But it's not a transformation from cares to no cares. The complete transformation is from cares to 
caring. In other words, that's the complete transformation process. It's not enough to relieve yourself of anxiety and just not care about anything or anyone. You've got to move fully to the full caring state. We've mentioned before that there are three, there are really three stages of Christian growth. You remember them? Please help me is the initial stage of Christian growth for the one who has just become a child of God. He is or she is a babe in Christ. Peter reminds us of that when he says, as newborn babes, having put aside all these things that are negative, the sins that characterized you, now then as newborn babes, as new Christians, desire the sincere or pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. And so when you become a Christian, the growth process begins. And the process is from a babe to one who no longer has to say, as a babe, please help me, I need more encouragement, I'm just a babe, help me to stand on my own two feet. You progress as you feed upon the Word of God, as Peter admonishes, and you reach that point where you say, I can help myself. I'm, I can help myself. I still love the input and appreciate the encouragement of my brothers and sisters in Christ, but you don't have to be as concerned about me as perhaps you once had to be because I have applied myself to growing in the Lord and in His grace and in His knowledge, 2 Peter 3.18. And so now I can stand on my own two spiritual feet to a greater extent. Never a time when we don't need one another, obviously, or the Lord. But there is a maturation process that the Bible makes abundantly clear should occur. Remember what the Hebrews writer wrote to those in Hebrews 5, 12 through 14, when the time has come that you ought to be teachers, you have need that someone teach you again the very first principles of the oracles of God and have become those who need what? Milk and not solid food. The rebuke is clear. And implied in the rebuke is, in the, rebuke is the growth that should have been occurring. But the second stage of Christian growth, I can help myself, is not the final stage. The final stage of Christian growth and development is, now let me help you. Please help me, stage one. I can help myself more, stage two. But now, stage three, let me help you. That's the transformation from cares to caring. And that's where the greatest joy is experienced in the Christian life. By caring and manifesting that care and the compassion for others by our actions and by our words. From cares to caring. That's the complete transformation. But then we look at the second area of transformation, and that is from doubts to daring. From doubts to daring. Doubt is associated at times with fear. And fear can cause us to doubt. We read about an occasion such as that in Matthew chapter 14. In Matthew chapter 14, when the storm arose in the fourth watch of the night on the Sea of Galilee, Jesus went to the disciples walking on the sea. And you remember when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled saying, it is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. 
This is where Peter answers and says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But here's verse 30. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Peter was doing fine as long as he focused on the Lord. But in verse 30, as we just read, when he saw, and the indication there in the word saw is he kept looking at, not that he casually glanced and saw that the situation was pretty scary, but he kept noticing that is the idea here. He concentrated on the storm around him rather than upon the Savior before him. And as a result, he began to sink, and we'll do the same every time. When we concentrate on the storms of life, and on the surroundings, and we don't focus on the Savior, then we can begin to doubt. When we allow circumstances, wherever they develop, in our families, in the family of God, wherever they may be, if we allow those circumstances that are negative to cause us to lose our focus on the Lord, then we will begin to sink. We've got to keep our eyes on Jesus. And so that brings to mind the question, what are you looking at? Where are we looking. Where are we looking here at White Oak? Where are we looking in terms of the future of the congregation here? What is the outlook? What is our focus? What is our attitude? It's very important that we not allow anything, fear or any other factor to cause us to waver. Peter wavered because of fear. He had, in the word that is used there, a double standing. He didn't know which way to go. He lost his focus and lost that faith that he had when he first got out of that boat and was doing just fine. And he began to have it watered down, so to speak, by looking at the waters around him. And since he didn't know which way to go or where to stand, he just sank. He just sank. And so doubt can be associated with fear. But if you look on over at Matthew 21, at verse 21, it can be truly a lack of faith. A lack of faith, not necessarily associated with fear, but simply a lack of faith. And that was the case with these disciples in Matthew chapter 21 and verse 21. He seeing a fig tree, going back to verse 19, by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves and said to it, let no fruit grow on you ever again. It grow on you ever again. Immediately the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how did the fig tree wither away so soon? So Jesus answered and said to them, assuredly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Notice how Jesus contrasts faith with doubt. If you ask in faith, 
and do not doubt, you'll be able to do this and more. Now, we need to add that in this context, the miraculous kind of faith was involved. We can't have that kind of faith today. But even those in Jesus' time and in the New Testament period who could perform miracles had to stir up that gift by faith in order to be able to do it. There was one occasion where the disciples were unable to cast out a demon from a young man in Matthew 17, and Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the child was cured from that hour. And on that occasion, the disciples came to Jesus and said, why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, you didn't have enough faith in your power that I have given you. You had to stir up that gift and you didn't do that. But he said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. So that's the same thing he's talking about here in Matthew 21. It's a miraculous faith, but the illustration is nonetheless valid to our non-miraculous faith that we must have today. It must be a faith that does not doubt. A faith that believes. A faith that believes that if we do our part, we have a great future here at White Oak. And that we do not doubt, but that we do our part and pray as well in faith. That brings us to James 1 and verse 6. Let him ask in faith, what? Nothing doubting. When we pray, we pray with a strong faith, nothing doubting. With the caveat, of course, that if God wills, that our prayer will be answered. Something else we need to see along this line of the transformation from doubts to daring is that we may also doubt our own abilities to do what God knows we can do if we have enough faith to do it. That gets us back to Peter's problem in Matthew 14. And in Philippians 4.13, Paul wrote, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so without, or instead of saying I would if I could, we should say I can with his hand. In Matthew 25, the parable of the talents is a powerful, powerful parable along these lines. And I've often said, where do you read in Matthew 25 in the parable of the talents? Of the no-talent man. He's not there. Because he doesn't exist. He doesn't exist. I may not be a five-talent person, but I'm at least a one-talent person, and I'm promised if I'll use that talent by faith, that God will increase my talents. Doubting is foreign to God's Word. Daring is not. I love the statement in Proverbs 28 and verse 1. The wicked flee when no man pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. The wicked flee when no man pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. And that brings us to the complete transformation here. As with cares, it's not from cares to no cares. The complete transformation is from cares to caring. The complete transformation here is not from doubts to just removal of doubt, but moving on to become daring, moving on to become bold in our God. That's what Paul said. That's how 
he expressed it in 1 Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, he says, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. What a statement. Even after we had suffered everything we had suffered at Philippi, we came on down to Thessalonica, and even though we were confronted there by conflict, we nonetheless were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God. In Acts 9, 27, Paul, immediately after his conversion, is said to have preached boldly in the name of Christ. Verse 29 also alludes to that. And boldly does not mean brashly. It doesn't mean with a bad attitude. It doesn't mean with a uh, bad tone. In fact, that's totally foreign to what we should be doing. It just simply means plainness and openness of speech. He preached the whole counsel of God without hesitation and without fear. He was daring, bold in his God. And what kind of results will we see when we are bold or daring in our God? We'll see souls reached. We'll see churches grow. We'll see talents used by more people who are willing to launch out and use their talents, and therefore there will be more work that will be done. Hebrews 13 and verse 6, so that we may boldly say, God is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? What can man do to me? Well, Jesus in Matthew 10, 28 said he can do this to you. He can kill you. He can kill your body, but he cannot destroy your soul if you don't let him. So I have nothing to fear from man. Faith drives away fear and replaces it with confidence and courage. And yes, with caring, with compassion. From doubts to daring, as well as from cares to caring. But finally, from selfishness to sharing. I like the Hebrews writer's expression of this in Hebrews 13. 15 and 16, where he writes, Therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But then he adds, But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. God is well pleased with sharing. God is greatly displeased with selfishness. But you know, man has been habitually selfish. You go back to Cain and Abel. And after Cain had killed his brother and God confronted him and said, Where is your brother? He said what? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Well, that's the mantra that is prevalent in the mindset of a great many people in our world today. Am I my brother's keeper? The attitude that prevails today is, I am my keeper. And I'm going to take care of me. You can take care of you. That's the dominant mindset. Today, people refuse to help those in need, and we have become 
tragically a nation of victims with blame being distributed to anyone and everyone except those who need to accept the blame. And so that was not characteristic of the early Christians, was it? Go back and read with me a very familiar text that follows on the heels of some 3,000 souls hearing and obeying the gospel for the first time. And in Acts 2, 41 beginning, those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear, that is reverential fear, came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. The Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. They had truly dethroned self and enthroned the Savior. And we're to do the same, and in so doing, we are to share what? Our material blessings? Absolutely. Benevolence is a crucial part of the work of the Lord's church. And obviously, we are to share the spiritual blessings that we have been privileged to enjoy and continue to enjoy if we are in Christ. That's the key. Are you in Christ this morning? If not, we plead with you to do what those of whom we have just read did long ago on Pentecost Day. Believe with all of your heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Act upon that belief by repenting, changing your mind, and determining to change your life. Confess freely that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and then, as he commanded, be buried in baptism, where the blood of Jesus awaits to wash away your sins. He who believes and is baptized, Jesus said, will be saved. Mark 16, 16. And if you know this morning that whereas you once understood and appreciated and even underwent that transformation, that metamorphosis, that you have lost that determination, lost that zeal, lost that love, and that that has been manifested in your lack of dedication and service to the Lord, and it's known in a way that should cause you to repent publicly and ask us to pray with you and for you to the God who loves you and who will forgive you, then we plead with you to come and do that. If not, if it's a private matter and you just simply look at your heart and say, I need to improve, and I will, and all of us need to constantly examine ourselves to see whether we are in the faith, Second Corinthians 13, verse 5. Take care of it in the way that it needs to be taken care of. And for those who need no... No change whatsoever because you've already made that complete metamorphosis. May God bless you to continue to understand and appreciate the beautiful spiritual butterfly that you now are and the good that you can do as you continue to be that spiritual butterfly. As we stand to sing, if you need to respond, will you come?